Yeah, I told you I was just annoyed because I had A.J. Brown and a couple best balls. Had him as my number one wideout. Obviously moved him down, but no other strong takes. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I think they're all fairly obvious, the the, the, the ramifications. But um, I, I will say this. Um, I'll take a contrarian view and say that I do not think that the, I still think the Titans are going to finish. I'll, I'll say they finished third in that division. I think they're due for regression. I do not think people realize how good Corey Davis was last year. If, if Julio Jones produces as, as good as Corey Davis did last year, they'd be ecstatic. Um, so I just think that the, that really the, uh, the take here is that um, I don't, I don't think the Titans are necessarily set up to be as good as many expect. I can see that. Although Tannehill has been pretty good since he joined. If you look at his numbers over the last two and a half years, uh, he's been really good. And I think the offensive line is key because it wasn't as good last year. And then uh, the defense is pretty bad. You might be right. I could see Tannehill, Tannehill, I believe, and I think he is really good, but he benefited a ton from play action. They lost Arthur, Arthur Smith. They lost the guy who was calling the plays. And I think that's underrated. And I think their defense is really, really bad. So we'll see. And maybe Jacksonville doesn't take the leap like I expect, but I just think Addy Julio Jones, the big name, uh, you know, wrong side of 30 injury prone. Um, and, and people are underestimating exactly the production they got from Corey Davis and they lost John Smith. I mean, they really needed Julio Jones because they had the worst set of weapons outside of the big two, you know, uh, you know, depth wise, but, um, that's not to just be my contrarian views. I don't, I don't love the Titans. Like everyone, you know, wants them as a, you know, the, the, their Super Bowl odds improved greatly after the move. Yeah. I don't, I kind of agree with that, that Julio's not moving the needle for them that much. I didn't move Henry. People moved up Henry like, Oh, their team's going to be good. He's going to score more touchdowns. I'm like, nah, it'll be mostly the same, but I think Calvin Ridley gets moved up a bit. That's the only guy who really changed. I mean, Brown down kind of like flip those two, like Brown's like eight or nine and Ridley's three for me now. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Ridley now the foot surgery, but yeah, definitely bump up. Right. I just happened today. I forgot about that. I had to move down even. I'd say the Ridley has an argument for the number one wideout right there with, uh, with right. any of them now, for sure though. And then one thing I will say I had done, this is consider this controversial though. Um, I, I moved Elliot above uh, Derek Henry. I think he was so good, but before Dak went down last year, still just 25, um, Henry, you said 800 carries, man. I'm just gonna let someone else have it. You know, I wrote the column last year saying number one guy. I love Henry, but I'm just gonna probably let someone else have him this year. And I'd personally rather Elliot for 2021. It's so funny. I just moved Elliot over Henry. I have Elliot at seven and Henry at eight. I just did that like yesterday or today before you said that's that. funny. That's funny. I was oh. just looking at Elliot and I was like, you know, he was pretty good when Dak was there. Dak's back. Uh, Tony Pollard actually got some run last year and really wasn't anything special. Like for a little bit, I was like, Oh, Tony Pollard's good. Like that's a risk to Zeke. And now, you know, so many backups look good, like in little bit of duty. And then they play a little more and you're like, uh, you know, it's like Mike Davis when he first came in for Christian McCaffrey. He's like, oh, this guy's great. And I was talking to p about it yesterday on his podcast. And I'm just like, eh, he's just a guy. Like I had Davis. I actually, in that Brad Evans league, I lost Barkley and I picked up Davis. And for like four weeks, I was like, oh, it's just as good. That was a league where you beat me in like some crazy game. Oh, yeah. like you had some random Richie James. Richie James. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like five and three. You were five and three. And I never won a game after that. So I lost Barkley, which was huge, but I survived because I had Mike Davis. I went in on him. And for five games, I was like, this guy's basically Barkley. You know, it's just if Barkley were doing this, I'd be fine with that. And then he just completely fell off the cliff after like five games. Yeah, Elliot's making yeah. so much money. And Pollard actually had a lot of people thinking the same thing. Or maybe he is better. And Elliot actually did uh, kind of turn it on in one game down the stretch last year. He's like, no, I'm still the starter here. But so reportedly, he's like motivated, looks awesome in camp. 
And um, I don't know. I just think that the setup there is so good. They threw it to him a ton. Dak was dumping it off. him. He's getting eight, 10 targets a game too. So just like the setup there, even if he's not in real life, one of the three or four or five best uh, running backs. So that would be a, another move there as far as the Titans. But yeah, I move Ridley up, move up. Kyle Pitts is in such an interesting situation as a, a rookie tight end never produces, but he's like Calvin Johnson prospect. And now looking at so many targets, I mean, you can't not rank him as a top five uh, tight end right away. I moved him to five. I moved him. Uh, he's still behind Andrews, but ahead of Hawkinson. Now I moved him up one. I can see him at four. I think he got drafted the last NFBC league at four, uh, right behind the big three, the obvious big mm-hmm. three with Kelsey Kittle and, and Waller. I, I still like Andrews. Andrews apparently is also balling in uh, this doesn't mean anything, by the way, think about mm-hmm. spring training, like how much bullshit was in spring training. Like uh, so many guys mm-hmm. like Craig Kimbrell was terrible in spring training. So I, I got off him and then he's great now. You know, there's so many guys that I, yeah. And then there's also Vladimir, Vladimir Guerrero changed his diet completely and took it serious for the first time. And now that was he's the best player in baseball. I mean, yeah, but sometimes I it matters. I mean, no, but we were already in on him at age 21. I mean, if he was like totally fat, maybe one of in, but like it's for him, it was like that he lost the weight was a sign that he was serious, but it was kind of that breakout was, I mean, he was going to like the fifth round even before. Hold on. That brings us back to Mike Davis because the thighs, that's the thing with all these beat reporters. I even heard him admitting that one of them admitted it on um, an established run pod being like, Oh, we know we'll get the clicks. If you get a, a, a photo of the thighs and his looked impressive. And as you said, he was really good for there a while replacing CMC 80%, but really faded down the stretch. I don't think he's ever had more than 165 carries. He's 28 years old. Um, he'll be right there in that quote unquote running back dead zone that people keep writing about, you know, that maybe look good on paper. You can talk him into it. Chase Edmonds, Miles Gaskin, but you know, just a lot of question marks and a lot of risk. So this year I'm taking, um, like I do starting pitcher, I'm taking running back my first two rounds. And then I'm, I'm probably going to veer elsewhere during the Mike Davis round. But I mean, I get it on Miami. There's zero competition. Um, the setup there could be nice, but, um, again, there's just, there's too many, there's just too much risk too as well. And I, I like Gaskin. Pick. I like Gaskin. Oh, you think Gaskin will be a third round pick? I think those guys will probably whatever third, fourth round. I think the Mike Davis is Gaskins. You know, they're in, in right, running fifth, back 20 uh, range, 20 running back 20 range ish. Okay. I think no, like, am I too hot? I don't know. I thought like fifth, cause there's a lot of receivers that go after the okay. first couple of rounds of running backs go, then it's heavy receivers. Yeah. Like yeah, I like Gaskin in the fifth round and fine. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. He looked like he's their lead back there. Sure. I mean, I have him as my 19th running back. So if you get him in round five then I'm for it, but the dead zone, the round three to six is just the, the area that typically like starting pitchers in fantasy baseball that have just, that are proving to be the, you know, the, 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 the risk, the risk area. Yeah. I've got Davis at 25 and Gaskin at 21. But for me, it's like Gaskin looked good and then he got hurt. Mm-hmm but he didn't look good and then look bad. And the other thing about the thighs, and I'm starting to realize like, I love the DK Metcalfs. I love the Kyle Pitts, Calvin Johnson. I love those kind of guys. I'm always like, dude, if one of these guys hits, this could be like, you know, the craziest thing ever. But if you look at the greatest players of all time, they're mostly like Tom Brady, Jerry Rice, you know, they're like, Joe Montana. They don't get hurt when they look well, like that. They, well, like they, right. they don't get hurt. And they also like, they're not that athletic. You know, Marshall Falk was not that athletic. You, know, you look at the best players at all these, I mean, Jim Brown was, but like so many, you know, Emmett Smith was not so many of these guys are just great at their sport mentally. Like they have a lot of drive. They have like, a, like an inhuman, like Brady's inhumanly wants to be great. He's one of those few guys. I mean, obviously you get like LeBron who's got like the, the drive and the build, it's the all-time unicorn, but 
I don't know, Brady, LeBron. I mean, it's, you know, there's just so many like, quarterbacks, a little bit different position, but I used to be like, oh, we got to get the guy who's this freak athlete. And if he's good, like it's going to just go crazy. But now I'm kind of like, maybe you should just get the guy who's just a really good football player and, and not worry about it. So it's like Cooper cup. We talked about him last week. Like he seems like he's a really good football player. He's six, two, like two ten, runs good routes, but he's slow. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, he's not like lightning quick, but he's just good. And like a lot of these guys uh, who I was always resistant to like Michael Thomas and, I didn't want to say Devonte Adams, but they're just good. I mean, Devonte Adams is not going to like break a big play. He's had a lot of advantages, but you know, he's a good, tough football player that catches everything. And I wonder that I've, I, if I've aired too far on like the, uh, the athletic specs. Totally hear you, but I'm personally a sucker for the thigh photos and, and watching Nick Chubb, uh, deadlift thousand pounds or whatever it is. And just yeah. like, man, those guys working hard in the off season. So yeah. I hear you though. You should probably just mostly, mostly ignore it. But I do like reading honestly about like diet, dietary changes and stuff like that. And just people, you know, and it's almost like, uh, I almost prefer it because I'm like when they even admit to being like, Oh, I didn't care about that at all in the past. And then this, this, I did a big, I was eating McDonald's every day. I don't know. I think there's something to that, but it could just be confirmation bias looking back at like I did Vladimir. And it could have been five other examples that you could have countered with if you just had them readily available or whatever. So, you know, but it's whatever it's fun. And the thigh pictures are, uh, whatever, something that the media didn't have 10 years ago. And it's just, whatever, it's funny. Mike Davis and just, just look massive. Well, you got to take AJ Dillon then under that criteria. Yeah, and then, sure. and then also, do you remember when Puig was totally jacked hanging out with his friends? Oh yeah. And we I, both loved it. We were And then Andy Barron's posted. Yeah, and he's we like, Oh yeah, I'm going to draft a guy because of this. And I was like, of course I'm going to draft a guy because of this. He looks super jacked and he was terrible and he's never really, yeah. he's been okay afterward. Was it totally I was fun. with you on that. I said, imagine not being impressed by this and wanting exactly. to draft him three rounds earlier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Oh, so I heard so nice pod with P and Al the, the, yeah. on the Yahoo fantasy football forecast. Um, and, uh, yeah, a couple, couple, uh, nothing really jumped out other than I think you had like Lamar Jackson ranked seventh and my guy Debo high. Those are the only two notes I, I wrote down. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you, you have any thoughts you have Lamar like seventh or something that that's something I worth did have him seven. I, I could maybe move him. Uh, by the way, P and L very easy to talk to. It's a very easy pod to come on, start talking listen, 40 yeah. minutes go by. And it's like, just very, good host. Uh, yeah. Normally you know, I have to fast forward uh, stuff with you, but I, I listen. To the whole thing. <laughs> of course. Pina was asking me about Jackson at seven. I, I can see it because obviously the, the ceiling, we know what the ceiling is greatest QB season of all time. Fantasy wise. But last year he got a little soft and it didn't seem like he made the counter adjustment where he was you know, okay. They solved him, but now he's doing this. And so the running just wasn't quite as explosive. And then his passing when he didn't have the running, just wasn't even in the same ballpark. And, and we knew that 35, 36 touchdowns on 400 attempts was just like so stratospheric. It was, it was very likely to regress. He still got 26 on 376 attempts, which is a lot, but the rushing yards were, you know, more, I mean, he still had a thousand yards. So I don't know, maybe I'm a little low. It was 15 games. He had a thousand yards, seven rushing touchdowns, 26 passing touchdowns, 2,700 passing yards. You're right. Like it, let's say, let's say I, I'm projected actually for, how's he, how's he only seventh? Cause I've projected for yeah, 3,200 passing yards, 28 touchdowns. I kind of split the difference closer to last year from two years ago. And I gave him 991 rushing yards, six rushing touchdowns. It must be that, that if I move him up like 1%, which is how I can move him up in the admin area, that he'll pass like four guys. So it's probably, they're all interchangeable, but that, 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 
the stats are pretty big. I think part of it's the 17 games too, though. We always forget like the stats look big, but like he's boosted up the whole game. But yeah, so I'm looking at the guys ahead of him. Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson, I gave a little bit more. I don't know if you hear Oscar in the background, but he's whining and I'm annoyed at Heather because I told her to come back from the place she's at because he whines. And I was like, I'm trying to do the podcast, but you're going to have a, Hey, Oscar, quit it. Shh. All right. Let's see if we have to leave that in. Yeah, Russell Wilson. Maybe I'm too high on Russell Wilson. Justin Herbert, though. Man, Baltimore made investments in the offseason. He was better in the second half last year. I don't think he was solved or anything. Just the rushing floor. But, uh, yeah, I think that's that's too low. I Yeah, I think seven is too low for, for, for Jackson in his prime. Um, and then my guy, Debo. I, I looked at it. His, his ECR is like 33 in fantasy pros, and you have him at 16. I love it. I love the rushing floor, but, yeah. Well, that was surgery. Maybe people are too. That's half PPR. That's half PPR. In full PPR, I have him at twenty. So, like, I I always use full PPR. So, for me, he's twenty. I guess you guys use half. So, looks like sixteen to you. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, that's what he, I just heard him say it on the pod. But anyway, so yeah, uh, D- Debo, a lot of targets in the in the few in the games he was playing uh, toward the end of last year. Maybe if he's healthy, I, I love it. Hey man, it's, it's the Niners, but that's definitely uh, was high compared to the market. He was their guy when he was healthy. Now Kittle was out, so that made it a little easier. But they were just throwing to him every time. And the thing about Debo is he catches the ball at the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have to get open. It's just like they just dump it to him. They, first of all, they hand him the ball. They get him carries and carries near the goal line sometimes. And they don't really have a running back yet. Like Trey Sermon may be the guy. Mostert won't be a full-time guy, I don't think. So they may have Debo running the ball. I give him 24 rushes and, and two touch, rushing touchdowns. I think that's 134 rushing yards. So I think that's part of it, that he is going to get some cheap rushing yards. And he's a beast. You know, he gets that ball behind the line of scrimmage and he hits people like he's a running back. And I think Shanahan likes using him that way. I mean, Ayuk will also be used that way a little bit. And then, uh, you know, Kittle, we'll see. Kittle also takes a lot of short passes a long way. So um, they love to throw those little dump offs though. And I think Debo's going to get a lot of catches. Yeah, I think Ayuk's the alpha there. I definitely take him higher, but... Uh, oh, really? You no, take no- Ayuk over Debo? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Really? Why do you think that? That, to me, is surprising. Because he just runs the whole route tree, and he just proved to be the alpha. I mean, the, the Debo is a little bit more gimmicky and behind-the-line-of-scrimmage guy with no air yards. I mean, Ayuk looks like a superstar in the making. Um, but, I mean, I could be wrong, and, and he suffered a couple injuries himself, too. But um, Ayuk just – maybe he took advantage of all the injuries last year and racked up those targets, and now with everyone healthy, it'll be different in year two. But, uh, I mean – the market is like Ayuk's way way higher. I mean, you realize that you're the different one there. Um, oh, but, well, but, you're yeah. the Niners guy. You're the Niners guy yeah. and the market. Yeah. I'm probably I'm probably yeah. wrong. Yeah. I just just you know I I picked up Debo in a couple of leagues last year, and then he was he was hurt a lot. But when he was healthy those couple of weeks, he had 13, 11, 133 against the Rams defense, and then he went nine six seventy three with the, and then he you know he got some rushes. I don't. He just seemed like. At least week twelve. I want to see if Ayuk was hurt that week, but week twelve he was the guy against the Rams. But they they don't have any wide receiver three now. They like Richie James that we talked about. Jalen Hurd has not played a snap in the league, so they don't have a number three. And one of those guys will get hurt. So um, I mean, yeah, I think that, I think they can all all three will be will be productive on a per game basis. I mean, whoever's throwing throwing the ball to them. Um, so but yeah, any Debo gets those uh, like Robert Woods. They get these cheap rushing yards, even if it's yeah. just fifteen a game. That adds up. Um, enough football though. Ba- baseball. I wait, wait. I, wait, I want to, I want to finish this. Uh, the, the week that Debo went crazy, Ayuk was out. 
So you might be right. Like I, that was without even Ayuk there. So they weren't really ever healthy there at the same time. Right, the same time. That's why yeah. it's a difficult question. Cause I just assumed Debo year three, you know, he was really good as a rookie and he didn't even like get snaps until like a few weeks in. He's really good as a rookie. And then year two is when they blow up, but he got hurt. He's only played a couple of weeks healthy and he was really good. So I'm like, okay, year three, this is the guy, but you're just saying Ayuk is a more complete player. I mean, Ayuk first round pick, they, um, he's a wingspan of Calvin Johnson. All the, the guys that do the tape love, love what he did. We'll see. I mean, but he, not just the, 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 I think in prime time, he did that one hurdle over, over a player, but he, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see it. Maybe it's probably closer. You know what I mean? Then, 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 then the ADP, the difference is right now, it's probably somewhere in between. Um, and they'll both probably deal with injuries throughout the year. Like all nine. they've already suffered two season ending injuries yesterday and Shanahan called, called no more. We'll meet back in OTAs. It's ridiculous. After last year, it's just the Niners. I don't know what's going on there. Um, sticking with the Bay area. I meant to bring this up last week, but I bet on my giants last week at 50 to one, they're sent down to 35 to one lost a heartbreaker and extra innings right before, um, record hitting record on this pod. Um, but man, I've had multiple people contact me, direct message me, text message me saying I gave in way too easily on the Ahmed Rosario, Brandon Crawford <laughs> argument. And that was before he had two homers yesterday. Multiple people reached out people. Some I know, some I don't know. And I just told them, you know, the honest truth is, well, Frankly, it's just easier giving into you than it is arguing. But um, yeah, no, no, that's this, cowardly. You, you that's knew this cowardly. was coming. You knew that's this was coming. I knew it was coming. Uh, I said on the radio today. I said, I said, I took the W. I don't want that W to be. First of all, Rosario has still been good. Like he had, he went three I for know. four yesterday, but he didn't hit two home runs. So I said you're going to at least reopen it since I had closed it like it was a done deal, and I was just correct. Hold on, second most RBI in the NL, top fifteen in WAR in all of baseball. Do you know what he is as a, as a fantasy hitter in your in today? Guess guess what he's ranked as a fantasy number hitter. Number 12, number 12. Okay, number 18 on oh, Yahoo. See, not number even, not even top 12. 20 fantasy hitter undrafted in NFBC's main event leagues. All of them undrafted, not drafted right, in one, one main event. Because he's 34. 34 year old. Here, yeah, here's the thing. Crazy. Here's the thing. First of all, you can't use all that because most of that happened before I picked him up. So you can't be like, Oh, you would have got 14. No, 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 no. Of course. Of course. I'm he had just, 10 I'm homers. And, and the argument though, or nine homers, the argument was, but look, he's doing so well. Like, why aren't you picking him up? Which is valid, but it's what he's done since. And I think he has been a little more valuable than Rosario since a little bit because he's got a homers. Rosario's had, I don't think Crawford's had a steal since I picked up Rosario. He's got two or three, yeah. but Rosario is also an outfielder now, um, which is where I use him. I don't even use him at shortstop because I got too many shortstops, but the problem is you have a very high burden of proof in this because I didn't come into your kitchen and say, Oh, <laughs> why are you picking up Crawford? You should have picked up Rosario. You're an idiot. You came into me. I wasn't stepping to you at all. I was just living my life. Right? So the burden of proof isn't like yours is slightly better or mine slightly better. The burden of proof is for you to be correct. Like it has to have been an idiotic move and not, you haven't met that burden yet. Now you may it's at, at some point, you know, if Crawford wins MVP, yeah, now I'm irrationally rooting against Rosario in the exactly. box scores every, yeah. every night. And the giants, so the giants just announced that they are removing the, the archways, the, whatever the script, whatever it was called on. Um, so, so the fans can start watching again. Some people claim that that was been a big help for the offense, but also the dimensions moved a lot too. So anyway, that could hurt Crawford, but also the weather should be getting warmer. But anyway, it's funny that he just hit two homers and he actually, right before we hit record and extra innings, 
he flew out, uh, in my, uh, oh man, right at the warning track. I was going to go and would have been perfect. Eddie Homer there, but, uh, bullpen blew, blew a save and a loss. And I'm uh, upset because 50 to one, they currently have the best record in baseball. All the nerds of run differential, uh, their pitching's top 10 and fifth. They have a good defense. They're the second most runs scored on the road this year. Uh, they're one of the half the teams in the league that does not have a designated hitter. So that's pretty good. I mean, the second most runs scored. Um, and they have, they have a really good farm system that doesn't, maybe I'll even talk to James Anderson tomorrow. He'll be hosting with you again next time. Yeah, I will. Their, yeah. Their, their, their farm system's good. They haven't had anyone brought up yet, which is there to come. They'll make some moves at the deadline. So like I said, already down to 35 to one, 50 to one baseball is a total right? crap shoot playoffs. in the playoffs. I mean, come on. So I thought that was an opportunity. To what actually, if they like, acquire Max Scherzer? Yeah, a good I, player. I mean, you don't well, you don't know yeah. they they could do it. Right. Um, and I forgot in my head. I was like, oh, but the three teams in that division that's so so tough with the Padres and Dodgers. Even though the Padres, you know, Lamette's health status. Who knows? Blake Snell. Who knows? Mackenzie Gore has the yips. So like, you know, their once awesome depth is is a little bit shakier there. But um, what I can say is, I forgot that they have that wild card game. So three teams kind of make it right. So worst comes to worst, they'll play that that one play in game. But if they somehow didn't even have to do that, I would just start hedging and that 50 to one in the, in the futures market in today's betting, I felt like that was an opportunity I haven't seen in a while, but of course you could also accuse me of being a Homer. As no, well. that's a good bet. 50 to one. I, I think it should be 30 to one, 35 to one. I think that's right. Um, 50 to one is really good. And they're a good team and, and the organization's smart. Oh, and you brought up Gossman. Sorry to cut you off, but Gossman's yeah. one of the guys who, who's never been able to get spin rate. And I want to let you go ahead and go there with the floor. There is really yeah. kind of burying the lead in all of sports. Yeah, it's kind right. of crazy what's going on, but Kevin Gossman does not rely on spin rate, but you know, who does rely on spin rate. Tw- uh, four of the top 12 uh, spin rate are starting pitchers on the Dodgers. Right. And Kershaw is one of them too. You don't think that he's, you don't think like, Oh no, Kershaw. It's like Jeter didn't do roids. Come on. It's Jeter. No way. You know, it's like Kershaw's not cheating, but that is um, a big deal. Right. I mean, look at Cole's last four starts. They're not very good. He's got a four thirty ERA, 28 strikeouts and eight walks, 26 strikeouts, eight walks, 23 innings. It's fine. But he was striking out 13 a game earlier in the season. I mean, he was just killing it. And he hasn't done that lately. No, oh, and the spin rate's down. It's not just the the, right. the outing. So the spin rate's down. Yeah. So, and Bauer too has been a little shaky the last few outings. And I mean, Cole was going to his head on that John Boy video last summer. There was a press conference, which I didn't actually see the conference, but I read an article about it. It was in the article, the Brittany Giroli article that I was quoting on the radio. And she said that he was kind of, and I, you know, people distort things, but it sounded like she was just saying he was non-committal and didn't really answer. It was a little squirmy. And uh, I should probably watch the actual press conference to confirm, but um, he should have been prepared to be asked. It's, it, but, but right. But, but yeah. like, maybe it's just a question he can't answer because he's doing it and now he's not, and his pitching's not as good. And he knows it. I mean, you know, he's got a four thirty ERA with a lot of strikeouts. He's still throwing 98. That's who he was on the pirates. He goes to the Astros all of a sudden oh, his spin rate spikes. Well, yeah. If you have a better grip, cause you got the sticky stuff on your hands, you're going to be untouchable. If you throw 98 and he was untouchable the last three years, Verlander, was like in the wilderness, you know, he wasn't very good. Goes to the Astros. All of a sudden this guy is winning Cy Young. You know I mean? He's all these guys who increased their spin rate, Charlie Morton. Where did that come from? Maybe he's doing it. And so I don't know if baseball is going to seriously crack down on this because it makes the game look bad. It makes the results look fake and they don't want that. But you know, if they're doing it behind the scenes or, or it happens, I mean, it's going to be a seismic shift. I mean, like it's going to hurt you, by the way, like your, your pitching is so good. Uh, Corbin Burns, by the way, has a very high spin rate. Your pitching is so good, but what if these guys can't get that spin anymore and they don't have the movement anymore? 
Yeah, Bauer has been making a mockery of this for the past couple of years. Fangraphs has done articles on it. He's uh, tweeted about basically daring the league to do something, and you've watched his uh, spin rate rise right afterward. He's clearly doing it uh, in front of everyone. He's number one in baseball in spin rate right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's really frustrating for me. It's going to cost me a lot of money because have have this happen middle of the season. Cause it sounds like in the next eight to 10 days, they're going to unroll this new deal and the umpires are going to, or sorry, the umpires are going to check a pitcher eight to 10 times a game. And they're going to really enforce it and, and go crazy here in the next week or two. And, um, yeah, I don't know what it's going to result in in suspension or what, but, um, yeah, it's someone who went heavy with starting pitchers. Yeah. The other guys on there are, are Burns is number two Cole, you Darvish. Yeah. It's not good. And all the Dodger guys. So, um, Scherzer's Look up at there, Darvish. but, um, yeah, Darvish, Darvish you know, there. two years ago at this time, just turned it on and never turned it off. He's just been in total ACE since. And you know, word gets around, Hey, just use this grip stuff and it's going to help you. I, yeah, I think it is. I think it really is a, a huge, obviously a contribution, to all the strikeouts. It, it really batters are probably never facing tougher uh, pitchers. The head, not only are they throwing it harder, but all the movement and all that spin and stuff. Just uh, Pedro Martinez, I guess that stuff been revealed that he's like, he claimed that what the secret, why he was better than all the other pitchers is his uh, elasticity in his fingers. He's double jointed. So like he can bend them backwards. No one fell. uh, No, no one's fingers stayed on the seams longer. And he just said, that was really it. And so that's what the stickiness does, the spider tack or whatever, which is funny. There's an interview that the, the maker of that didn't even know it was a big thing in baseball, but everyone's trying to get ahead of the game. This has been on some form of cheating for years and all that, but it's just weird in the middle of the year, suddenly police this and, um, and, and calling out the certain players as the forefront of it and win baseball behind the scenes is also doctored baseball itself. So it's just weird what they're highlighting right before this big negotiation. And I guess Garrett Cole's like the head uh, of the MLPA too. So a lot of politics going on here. Like, like, Oh boy. I mean like everything in life, I guess these days, but um, I don't love it personally. Let me tell you that if someone went crazy fantasy uh, starting pitcher heavy and this is bullshit and it's might, um, yeah, it could be horrible for me or this could be horrible. Bauer and Cole are noticeably bad since this is, you know, this has become a thing. I took Kershaw over Bauer in the, in that league that I'm in second place that you're in first place. I mean, you got a big lead. It's just my batting average. I'm still in last place. And there's two guys. It's Kelnick who's batting a hundred and like a hundred at bats and Keston Hira who batted a hundred and a hundred at bats before I benched him. That's like 200 at bats of a 100 batting average. And you take that away. I'm probably like third or fourth in batting average. And that is the one thing holding me back. And I don't know if I can dig my way out of it, but, but anyway, I guess my own fault for rostering those guys. It's been a little annoying because I, you know, I didn't draft Bauer in that league in the third round. I took Kershaw over him and, and you almost got Bauer in the third, by the way, he was like a couple of picks before you picked and you definitely would have taken him. You said, so it would have been ridiculous even more if you had taken him. I think you took Snell instead. Imagine if you had Bauer instead of Snell, you probably, you would be first overall in, in the uh, online, but I was worried about this, this spin thing. And I got off Garrett Cole after getting him in one league in my first league I was like, I don't want any part of this guy in, at one three or one two or whatever he goes one four, and uh, Oscar, shh, he's so wide. I got, I got Woodruff in three, who's been great, and then oh, no, okay. Woodruff, but oh, oh, Woodruff just round, round four. Glass now was one pick away from me. I got Snell right. in round four, but yeah. I got Woodruff, so no complaints there. Right. Okay. So it would have been the same, basically. I mean, and you're probably happier with Woodruff than Bauer right, right now. Right? So, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Geez. Like, 
by the way, my other guy way up on, sorry, jumping out at me at spin rate is my guy, Alex Reyes, who's just been a huge home run for me, all these teams too. So, uh. but he's not good. Alex Reyes. Like he walks so many guys. Like I've got Gallegos in a bunch of leagues and I'm just like, this is just a matter of time. The guy gets hurt all the time. He's walking so many guys. Gallegos is actually good. Yeah. But yeah. I know what you're saying, but you're pitching around lefties and you're just out there for one inning. You can get away with it a little bit more. And obviously the, maybe the spins helping them not get hard contact and the K's are there, but yeah, I hear you. The K the walks are out of control for that guy's ERA. I mean, it's yeah. super lucky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just a closer. It's, you can go really South if you're, if you're walking yeah. guys. So yeah. maybe he'll keep it, but I, I think he's on, I think he's shakier than it seems. You know, you look yeah. at him, saves the wins, the ERA, you're like, Oh, he's great. But yeah, Gallegos is good. Right. And Gallegos is good he's the guy like the only close, like the closer in waiting that I would keep, you know, because it's such a good situation too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's enough sports, right? We, we, we got through the, sure. the main stuff. All right. So are you moving to El Salvador? What's going on, dude? Yeah, man. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's, 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 uh, exciting. And it was weird. Jack Mahler's Twitter account w- w- disappeared right afterward too, but I guess what that was, was that? a, that was, I guess just a mistake and he's back and everything's fine. Jack helped uh, the other Jack, uh, helped, uh, get it reinstored. Twitter Jack. And, um, uh, yeah, pretty cool. So, uh, El Salvador is, uh, is, is, is officially adopted, uh, Bitcoin as a, as a currency. And do you think that really will make things, uh, you know, it'll be tougher to like capital gains tax and all that stuff or what are the ramifications here? Is it much to do about nothing or is this the beginning of something huge and you know, more more to follow? Okay. So let's just say, I like to do this. It's at 36, six right now, as we're recording this podcast last week, it was at 38. It dipped pretty low yeah, oh, years yeah, ago, yeah. almost at 31 something. You know, if it goes down to zero, I'm still holding, you know, even as a collectible. It's got to think of it as one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Don't worry yeah. about us token. Right. I, I was You're trying right. to ahead of me. I was explaining yeah. my friend that the other day, he, Kind of was getting it, but he still looked at me like I was crazy. But I'm right. like, no, you, you're not. Your frame of mind is quit comparing it to U.S. token. That is it's not. That's just that's just the wrong frame of wrong mindset. Right. It's like if you're in the desert and you had like 20 bottles of water, and somebody's like trying to price your bottles of water in dollars, and he's like, okay, fine, I'll give you a hundred for it. You're like, no, dude, I've got a bottle of water. Each one will last me a day to survive. We need 20 days. I got 20 bottles. That's it. That's it. The dollars. You know, your they, corpse can have the Yeah, they wouldn't start asking you how when you how rich you were. You you would respond not how much U.S. token. You would respond how many dollars. I'm sorry, how many uh, water bottles? You yeah, have. I've got. That, I'm okay. I got enough water. I got enough water. I'm good. <laughs> Just talking about this specifically. Obviously, it's a poor okay. country. <laughs> and now we'll, uh, we'll there's, we'll there's six million people there, but it's helping. And I, I think one of the a couple of things. One is the use case is proven. Right, a lot of people are like, why do you need this? There's no point in this. A lot of uh, first world rich countries, they're like. You know, I, my dollar works. I go to Amazon and buy some stuff. If I want something, I spend my dollars. I can go buy anything I need, buy food, whatever. Well, I don't know if we talked about this, but uh, Jack Mahler's, he went to um, El Salvador and these people get a lot of remittances from the U.S. I think there's 2 million Salvadorans in the U.S. And, you know, they make money and they send a, a portion of their earnings back to their families who are poor in El Salvador. And they have to drive or take a bus. They take a bus like six hours to like the nearest Western Union and there's gangs that hang outside them and they use us dollars or they were using us dollars. They also still use us dollars and they get the dollars wired to them. And Western Union would take like 40% of the, of the take. So you, you wire someone a hundred bucks that you worked hard. You know, it's not like these Salvadorans are like rich. They're doing like hard work. You know, they're, they're landscaping, they're doing tough work, you know, LA, like it's a lot of central Americans who were doing the hard work in LA and they're sending, and they're not rich, and they're sending a good chunk of their money back to their families. And then Western Union's taking ten percent of that, which is horrible. And then they have to like dodge these gangs when they've gotten their cash, 
and then get back on the bus for six hours. I mean, it's a horrible way to have to, to transact. Well, now all you need is a you know, $50 smartphone and they can send you on lightning strike. And basically uh, you get $99 and 80 cents for the hundred bucks and you don't have to take a bus. You have to risk, you know, getting uh, robbed by gangs. And this is a game changer, right? Because this money is going to flow in there and it's going to stimulate the economy. I think 32% of their economy is from remittances from their earnings. Mm. Secondly, you know, the U S has tinkered a lot in these, in this region in a lot of bad ways. I don't know all of the details about central America and different countries and South America, but we've done a lot of shit. Like the CIA has gotten involved and there's been a lot of ugly stuff. And if they're on the dollar, like they really are controlled by the U S completely. Like they really have no autonomy because the U S can pretty much do whatever they want to them. But now they're, it's independent. And I think it's a little bit scary. I read this thing. It was really interesting. A tweet that said, actually the people in the U S government are totally surprised by this shocked. And a lot of them were dismissive of it politically. God, this is not a big thing. This will blow over. And now they're sort of like, holy shit, this like happened. We need to like figure out what this means. It wasn't necessarily like we need to stomp this out. But I think if this were the only place, I think the CIA might do something dirty and like have some more gang killings or I don't know who knows what they do, but just, you know, cause they're worried that they're going to come off the dollar and I really hope that some of these other countries, there's a lot of like government officials from Brazil and Colombia, right. maybe the president of Colombia, you know, Argentina, they're all started tweeting with the laser eyes. And I'm like, let's have another one do it. You know, let's have five or six do it. And then it gets to be a point where the U.S. can't really, it's like having nodes everywhere. You can't really go after everybody, stage a coup everywhere. So hopefully these, these countries do this quickly before like there can be a counter response. And maybe there won't be a counter response, but... I'm nervous that there will be, but it's great. It's amazing. I don't know how much purchasing power they have to drive the price up, but uh, it, it could just, it could launch a race. As soon as there's three or four in there, I mean, there's going to be 10. As soon as there's 10, it's like, oh, really? You really want Iran to get all the Bitcoin when it's at 50,000 uh, and you have to buy it at a million? Are you really going to risk that? That's a national security issue. If Russia starts buying it when it's at 50 and it starts going up, the U.S. has to buy it. I mean, they have to go in large and make sure that if Bitcoin becomes the thing, the new gold at a minimum or much bigger, the store of wealth for the world, like the U.S. has to have like 10% of that. You know, they can't just, they can't be letting Iran get, you know, two, 3% or whatever uh, before they get in big and drive up the price where it's too expensive. Because whoever gets in is going to drive up the price insanely, any of the major countries. And then the president joined Twitter and I think everyone loves him and he's obviously all in. So, uh, that was a cool scene. Uh, otherwise though, the, had a couple other deals, uh, Trump, I guess went on Fox news and called it a scam. And I don't know how true it is whenever like the price, which is always volatile uh, people, the, the news likes to attribute it to reasons. And I have no idea which is, is true or not. Um, but some of it was that another was the, the Bitcoin conference, um, I don't know. It was uh, some would call a low point with Max on stage, getting all everyone all fired up. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, you have I any saw the Howard Dean, the Howard Dean moment. Yeah, very I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that I don't guy's care. Goofy. Who cares? I know. Yeah. I don't care, and I think that guy's goofy. I like that guy. He's just goofy. Yeah. But Sailor had to kind of look at him and hug awkwardly right. and kind of right. just deal with it. But anyway, that was cool. That everyone's nice. so excited at the conference, and 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 um, yeah, obviously a lot of positive uh, buzz, but um, but still remain remains volatile. Yeah, I think these are the, most of these guys are young guys, you know, in their twenties, early thirties, who are very, very smart and very, very dedicated to this because they understand what's going on in the world, and they see this as the only out, really the only out for like what's coming. And I just think this is a religious movement. Uh, one guy tweeted, and I love this. He's like, "We were a cult, now we're a religion." 
Because mm-hmm. the difference between a cult and a religion is how widely adopted it is, basically, <laughs> and 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 how you know how much cloud it actually has. A uh, cult is like you know something that just is hundred people belong to it, but a religion is something that you get millions. We talked about the tweets last week, the Paul Tudor Jones tweets to uh, Stanley Druckenmiller, and he said, you know, these guys are crazy. It dropped from seventeen thousand to, to three thousand, and eighty six percent didn't sell. He's like, who the hell holds on that kind of drop? He's like, these are religious fanatics. Like this is good. You know, th- these guys are are, are serious. And so I, I don't know. It's just extremely bullish. I don't know. You know, the price dropped for whatever reason. I don't know if it was Elon Musk. I don't know if secretly China or the U.S. is shorting it or putting pressure on. I don't know. It's all speculation. But I also think the volume is pretty low on the selling. You know, it's kind of like, well, what would it take to buy from you? You'd say like, there's no price or it would be a ridiculous amount. So that's so the, the marginal price that it's trading at is just sort of like the very most eager to sell. But if you go deeper, it's not like a commodity that's just traded for the trading sake, like a, a stock that you don't care about or something or an index fund. It's like the price is actually the price. But this is different because there's people who believe in it. So like I would say the price for like 80% of the holders or 70, I don't know what the number is, is like a couple million right now for like a huge amount or, or infinity or whatever it is. So like any other commodity that's just being traded for profit the price is the price, but this price is just like the most, the weakest hands determine the price. So the price doesn't really represent what the collective price is. Does that make sense? Yep. It, yes, it does. Yeah. I know they, they keep saying the shake, the weak hands transfer them to more, you know, the, the long-term holders. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, oh, so, so, so there's another FUD though. The feds also, um, you know, they, they, they spoke, supposedly seized the majority uh, from the hackers and I think that was kind of framed like, well, that does Bitcoin no good. But no, all they did was supposedly get it from like it was on an exchange and Coinbase. Like, that's crazy that the hackers would have it on there. But supposedly that's the case. I mean, the most likely explanation to me is the FBI is a false flag. Like the FBI made the hack. And they now solve the hack. Just like they did this during the Bush years, they would find some disgruntled Muslim guy and like talk him into like planning a terrorist attack, like not just disgruntled, but like depressed, maybe mentally ill even, and talk him into planning one. And he'd go buy some fertilizer at the store or something. And then they arrest him and declare that they thwarted this imminent attack when that guy was just like not going to do anything until they started getting their people like to egg him on and do something. And I feel like, you know, again, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like this is similar because, okay, so these are Russian hackers sophisticated enough to break into major infrastructure and, you know, basically hold it hostage, you know, and and make it so that they couldn't even uh, get the gas flowing. And yet you're telling me that they don't even know the basic OPSEC to have a cold storage wallet and, and retain their private keys. To me, that's just not that's that person doesn't exist who can do that and doesn't know the other. Yeah, because something's like, going on here. Something's going on. People here. like you and me know the the thing about how you know an exchange. You know, the government can always just lean on an exchange and be like, "Hey, here's a warrant. Give me the give me the Bitcoin. This is illegal." You and me know this. So why wouldn't a professional hacker at that level know that? And secondly, even if they were to put it on an exchange, which they wouldn't. Why would it be in the U.S.? Why would they leave it on in, right. in, in Northern California if they're Russian hackers? Obviously, the FBI has access to that. Wouldn't they put it on some exchange in Europe or Russia or somewhere that would be a little harder to access? It just makes no sense. They would obviously just take the private keys. It's not hard to do. These are you know world class hackers. They they got into the, they thwarted an entire pipeline, a giant uh, company. I guess it's theoretically possible they didn't know, but 
that that just seems extremely far-fetched. And, okay, and the other FUD was, oh, they cracked Bitcoin. If you have it, the FBI can steal your Bitcoin. No, they actually needed a warrant. If they if they actually had the keys, they wouldn't need a warrant. They would have just literally put in the key and then sent the transaction to themselves and, and retained the money. So they needed a warrant because they needed the company to go in because the company had the keys and the hackers didn't. So that is very different than them breaking in. They can obviously lean on any person, but the resilience of Bitcoin is that no one person controls it. The exchanges do, and that's where there's risk of leaving your, your money on the exchange. But if it's in a, a cold storage... I mean, someone could come to your house and hit you over the head, but if it's multi-sig, if it's in multiple jurisdictions, they can't even make you do that. Or you could just say no and get you know, arrested. I mean, there's nothing they can do to get it because it's two to the 256th power, okay? And I just, just in terms of like guessing a seed, it's not like, oh, let me guess uh, your, your password or something. Two to the 256th power is 10 to the 77. There are 10 to the 80 atoms in the universe. There are a quintillion atoms in a grain of sand. A quintillion. A quintillion is... There's a trillion, then a quadrillion, then a quintillion. It's a million trillion, a quintillion. There's a million trillion atoms in a grain of sand, in every single grain of sand. But we're talking about atoms in the entire universe, not on the planet Earth, not grains of sand on Earth, because there's a quintillion atoms in each grain of sand, and there's quintillions of grains of sand on Earth, and there's many surfaces of Earth that don't have sand. In fact, the vast majority. So even if you filled the whole Earth with sand... That's nothing. Even fill the whole solar system with sand. That's nothing. Even fill the whole galaxy with sand. There are hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe. That's what you would have to guess to get someone's private key. There is no computer within the lifetime of the universe that can uncover that, at least currently. It, Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, what about in nine years of the supercomputers? The quantum computers? Yeah. I don't know enough. I've, I've, the, the, ref, the refutation of that FUD is A, they're not very close, and B, if they ever got to that point, uh, hacking Bitcoin would be the least of our worries that like everything would be infiltrated. Everything would be hacked every single thing in the world. If they had that kind of uh, computing power and all the banking stuff would get, would fall way before, you know, all, there'd be all sorts of warnings that, uh Oh, they're, they've gotten to a right. different level. Right. I don't right. know. It's, it's theoretically possible that one, but it's way in the future. It's not the biggest problem. And there'd be a, a huge warning by other things that were going on. <clears throat> so your homeland plot, I guess, makes the most sense then, I guess. Like, I, I'm sorry, that seems like a homeland plot the, where the government kind of talked someone into doing something nefariously. Well, or something. Well, I mean, that, we I mean know, nothing makes sense here. Other, I mean, at all. We, we know they talked guys into conspiring to commit a terror attack and then arrested them. Like they had, you know, posing as terrorists, co-conspirators, get a guy to do something and they would arrest him and then declare it like this big success. And so they've done it before. And the question is, well, who's behind the hack? It's like they say, Russia. I read guys were speculating before, you know, A, it's FUD on Bitcoin. Bitcoin's for ransomware. But also, it, it, it's an excuse for inflation. I think we talked about this last week, that if gas prices go up, you could say, well, yeah, because these hackers, these Bitcoin hackers are destroying the supply by, you know, cutting off these pipelines or the meat supply went down 20% because the meat place was hacked. And, you know, all these hacks are really destroying supply. And that's why you're paying so much. It's not because of our money printing. I mean, it, it is, it's not a great plan, but it's not the dumbest plan. I mean, some people would be like, yeah, ever since that hack, gas has doubled and now it can't, it could make it so it obfuscates at least like the inflation that's being created. And then also it has the FUD of, oh, you know, this is ransomware. We need to shut this down. It gives them that option. And then the third one is, oh, don't buy this. We can hack it. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to speculate that I know this happened. I've tweeted this out. I don't, the Venn diagram of person who can execute this hack and person who doesn't know to move it to cold storage is two separate right. circles. It's not overlapping. That, the only explanation is 
false flag and and they've done you know i mean that coaching someone into doing a you know going to buy fertilizer is somewhat real the guy bought the fertilizer it's not like nothing happened so it's not a complete false flag but that strikes me as more plausible than these guys not knowing the basics and then i wrote a scary thread um slightly off topic but just the future about blackrock basically scooping up all the real estate and just the redistribution of wealth right now that is we're, we're undergoing is just basically scary well, yeah, and ProPublica published all the tax returns of all these guys, which is kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. obviously, obviously, like they didn't sell their stock, so they're not paying taxes. You can't make people pay unrealized gains because then everybody's got to got to sell to pay the gains, and then nobody's going to invest because you can't even enjoy the gains because you have to be selling all the time just to pay the paper. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I enjoy so, the criticisms of that. Yeah, ProPublica. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was did. that article was crap, but. Yeah they pointed out something that is valid. Like these guys are getting so rich and they're not paying any taxes. And, and I don't think it's a tax law problem. It is a money printing problem because you print money, the dollar devalues and assets go up in price relative to the dollar and people with assets, their assets get more valuable. And of course they can borrow money at 0% now and they're going to buy more and more assets and they can lend, they can use their assets as collateral to access even more money. And they're the credit worthy who have assets are going to just see all the money. And this is what's happening in society. The richest people are getting richer and richer. People with some assets are getting richer. People with the most assets are getting the most rich. And people, the poorest people have their, their net worth in cash. If you're a poor person, you might have a couple grand in cash. You might not even have a bank account. You might just have it you know, in your house. And as you print and dilute them, those people are getting poorer and poorer. And they don't have any assets. All the assets are running away from them. They don't have assets and so it's good that people can buy Bitcoin, which is fractions. You know, you don't have to buy whole Bitcoin. You can buy a fraction and store some of the cash somewhere that's not being debased. But unfortunately, they have to use the cash. You know, they, they need it for expenses. So it's hard. But that article just illustrated that it was a dumb article, but it illustrated like the more the printing problem than the uh, than the tax problem. Yeah. And then BlackRock scooping up just all, every single available house throughout the United States. Uh, I don't know. Just so so what they're awesome. doing, in my opinion, is... And this, you know, I mean, you can get conspiratorial about it, and I will in a second. But just basically, they are taking this money that is getting debased and being valued less and less every day with inflation, and that they have access to because they're it's the Cantillon effect. They're the guys who have access to the newly printed money, and no interest or very low, they can borrow, and they're just turning it into assets immediately. They're just buying up all these single-family homes and becoming landlords. And those are assets that they can monetize and rent it back to the people. Now, the, now the conspiracy part is the great reset where, you know, you'll, you'll own nothing and be happy. Well, you really will own nothing if BlackRock owns every single house and you're getting priced out of the housing market because they're, they supposedly are the forefront of the great reset. Supposedly. I mean, I could see it. You know? and, and, and for, for those who don't know the great reset, is the world economic forum, this guy, Klaus Schwab. Uh, and they're the people saying, Oh, we're gonna have to eat bugs, climate change. We're gonna have to eat bugs. We're gonna have to stop all of our consumption. You know, meanwhile, these guys are super rich. I mean, Davos eating their lobster and filet mignon and they're telling people to eat bugs. There, I don't know. This is the conspiracy, but where everybody needs to be digital IDs and total surveillance, and I and I think it makes sense because if as the money they, they can't raise rates, they can't stop printing and raise rates because what that would do is just crash the stock market, and that would be instantaneous. And people's pensions are in the stock market. It's not just rich people who invest. It's the average person, the old person, their pensions in the stock market. If they raise rates, 
that gets destroyed and you have total unrest immediately. So the slow burn is to print and then risk inflation and eventually get inflation. We've already have some inflation. So inflation is, there's a fire in your house. So you jump out a window, like the fire is so painful right away, but you jump out of the window, you, you, you buy some time, but it's inevitable what's going to happen. So they're going to run from the fire and the fire is the market crashing is letting, you know, letting the market correct. And they're going to keep, you know, printing and printing and printing and they're going to get inflation. But eventually we know from the history that inflation is devastating and it wipes out everybody's savings and you're going to have so much unrest. So they, they need to deal with this because people are going to come up with pitchforks. They're going to stop obeying. Well, they need to have a you know, fear of the pandemic, fear of terrorism, fear of climate change. They need to have people hate each other on racial grounds. They need to hate each other on tribal grounds and political grounds. They need to divide people so they hate each other instead of you know, the people printing the money and debasing the money supply. And they need to keep people very afraid and complying with all kinds of crazy requirements uh, and then you know they you don't even you can't even buy a house so you're, you're even to to have a home you're now dependent on your overlords you can't even have the the sovereignty of having you know your own house that you know is yours anyway property taxes mean that you never can really have your own house anyway but you know because I mean that's a form of rent I mean if you don't pay you lose the house so it's true anyway I I don't know you know a lot of people think this is like definitely happening I think it's plausible it's definitely plausible to me and. And I definitely don't dismiss it as happening. And you see the reasons why, I guess I would try to do the steel man argument and say, well, why would they, you know, let's say they're good people or they think they're good. Why would they do this? And they'd be like, well, we're in a little problem with debt. And, you know, there is a lot of pollution on the earth and that's not, you know, insubstantial. And how do we get people to change their, you know, for them, they're probably like, we need to do this for the good. But to me, that's, that's evil forcing people to do your vision of good especially when you do it by stealing from them via the printing press. Yeah, no, that's, that's scary future. Um, it does appear to be seemingly happy or at least attempt an attempt at that. Um, what else? Do you have anything else list? Well, but El Salvador, okay, this is why I'm nervous about the CIA, what they're going to do there, because this is the counter to that. This is, okay. Oh wait, the U S government doesn't control our money anymore. This, this is kind of scary. You know, it's like for, yeah. for the U S it's like, Oh wait, like we can't just cut them off because they have access to something else. Right. Right. We can't just say, okay, no more aid, no more investment. Well, we have our own way of transacting. So we'll see. I just hope other countries adopt it before they can crack down. I don't think the dollar will go away. I just think that there it's to the extent it will go away is because it's the doing of the US government. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. They're printing it away. They're destroying it. <clears throat> Yeah, for sure. Uh, if the U.S. actually gets smart and buys like a ton of it, which they still yeah, could, they're yeah, still the most powerful, should, richest yeah. country, then they could basically reattach it to Bitcoin, like have a standard as it goes up in price and have it be like the old gold. And they'll be very restricted from making war and spending on stuff like that. Seven, six trillion in Iraq and trillions in Afghanistan. That kind of stuff is just not going to work when you're tethered, you know, Game of Thrones. Stannis had to go to the Iron Bank to get the money. You couldn't just like print his own money and raise an army. These things start to have real costs. You're not just stealing by printing. You don't just keep stealing from your people by printing and diluting them and using that, that diluted money to go wage war. Now you've actually got to get the money because you have a hard money that can't be printed. And now you don't wage war unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, no, they wow. should. The U.S. should. Yeah. Oscar. Uh oh, I don't want to get Heather in no. trouble. No, no, she she should be in trouble. I told her, and she said no. He's it's it's. And I, I'm like, 
She's like, well, then we got, if that's happening every time I leave then you know, we have to deal with this. I'm like, yeah, we have to deal with this. But during my podcast where I'm recording something is not the time to, uh, to do it. So it's not as bad as I thought these couple of barks. I thought he's going to be a lot. Yeah. Worse. Just, not bad at all. He, he whines for like, you know, an hour straight sometimes. So it's like, that would have been, you know, problematic, but. So you see, there's this, uh, CGG, CGG, this extremely rare, um, it's a path. Oscar. Yeah. It's only there when doing gain of function in laboratories. Basically it's a COVID-19 pathogen that has a genetic footprint that has never been observed in a natural coronavirus. Did you see that? That came out. This oh no. Week. So like even more evidence. Yeah. 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 Supposedly. Yeah. But so who I, knows I, what to believe. I unfollowed Alina Chan. I like her. She's very brave. She's like the first person and she got a lot of notoriety for it. You know, Lena Chan is that like postdoc yeah, IT yeah. researcher who was talking about the lab leak hypothesis and she called it when nobody was talking about it though, like to her credit. And she got a lot of Euro conspiracy, this and that. And now a lot of people know that the lab leak did happen or are pretty sure think she's like a shill for like the deep state or the, you know, whatever. So I feel bad for her because she seemed pretty earnest and like, seems like a, a nice person, but, but I just can't believe, I just unfollowed because I just can't believe she's not just like, come on, just be honest. It's obviously a lab leak. I can't take the, well, the lab leak hypothesis. And then the other hypothesis, it's like so ridiculous. I still follow her actually. I still follow her. She's all right. But I don't, I just like, I don't care to hear this debate anymore because to me it's settled. It's resolved. You have anything, any TV shows, any uh, lighthearted, uh, Stop. Uh, yeah, on a lighthearted note, I watched uh, Mayweather beat up a YouTube star on Sunday night uh, just because, uh, I don't know, just the spectacle of it all. Chad Ochocinco also fought, but um, it was all, all quite silly. Did Ochocinco win? Uh, he got, no, he, lo- he lasted four rounds, got knocked down in the fourth round, but lasted four rounds, which isn't nothing, man. I mean, it's like, it's supposedly a round of, even if it's two minutes, a round of boxing is oh, like, it's hard, it's you hard. know, an hour of cardio. You know, it's just like, you're just so exhausted because you're just, you're, you're obviously so tense especially first time doing it, but, um, whatever, ridiculous, but Mayweather, uh, didn't knock the guy out, uh, but he was six inches taller, 50 pounds heavier, but, um, not knock him out. well, that, yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, they, I mean, that dude, and he knows how to box. He's not like, yeah, that guy does. was yeah. jacked yeah. and in shape yeah. and strong yeah. as hell. And Mayweather, I think, I think I would say Mayweather, I, just, I didn't see the, the fight, but I just saw like, I just read a little bit about it. And I think Mayweather was a little scared that if, if that dude caught him, he could obviously knock him out and Mayweather's just a human. It's, it's, it's the, it's the boxing skills that he has. So he, you know, obviously so good defensively that that guy couldn't hurt him and he could just pepper him and, and destroy him. But he didn't knock him out. I think because he didn't want to risk getting knocked out. He had enough respect for that guy's power that he was like, if I want to make sure to knock this guy out, I have to take a little risk and I'm just going to easily destroy him. And then Mayweather wins easily, but that other guy wins too. Cause he doesn't get yeah. Yeah, no, he didn't, uh, Mayweather, that's the way, way he was. His whole boxing career was defensive. So yeah, totally. He didn't want to get, suffer a brain injury doing that exhibition. So he, he saw that. He even said after he admitted, he's like, I, I admit he was better than I expected. Right. And absolutely. Yeah. No, he did not want to, uh, to get knocked out there. But, yeah. But, um, pretty funny. He claims he made 30 million just leading up to it and 50 mil. I just funny. Just print, print press that guy. And he's going to go probably fight his brother and make just the same amount in a couple months. But, uh, that's where we are in the, in the, in the, in the boxing world. Um, in the cycle, a, in, in the cycle of uh, the decline of civilization. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good any spot. All right, man. Yeah. Um, all right, good stuff. I have a right. well, only TV recommendation. I'll throw one at you. Um, not for you specifically, but I did watch the a special on Netflix called Inside. It's Bo Burnham. It's dark. It's he filmed it by himself during uh, quarantine for the last year and a half. It's mostly songs, but um, some people absolutely love it. It's different. I I'd recommend it, but not for you, list. But it's called Inside. Bo Burnham. 
um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's definitely in, in, interesting and probably something people would look back on and, and, and point to, uh, during the pandemic. But, um, that's all I got in a good stuff list. Good talk. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, go, go Brandon Crawford.